yesterday I write songs when I feel this way I grab my guitar and I play I got the Merle Haggard Blues today Hello all, a very ghoulish welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Those tunes are courtesy, of course, by Bobby Mackey, and I am your host, Tessa Morrow. Hmm, I'm driving. I'm in Colorado. Just going for a nice little drive. Do I go this way? Curvy roads, see the beautiful rugged scenery, be surrounded by the mountains, the wildlife, you know. Or do I go this way? A straight highway way more traveled path it's as simple as that whichever i choose i'll probably get there fingers crossed that's what happens while we travel we make decisions some are life changers good and bad i know when my mom and i were driving through pennsylvania and saw that gettysburg was like five miles away it was a quick no-brainer decision yeah we're going and we both fully enjoyed it short Yes, it was a last-minute trip that lasted about one or two hours, but I'll always remember my time there. Sometimes it's not so great. You take a left when you should have taken the right turn, a few miles back, and total chaos happens. Whether it's an accident, a blizzard, a cow in the road, or something else. Making those decisions, you never think, this is going to be the death of me. Never. I never jump in my car and think, I'm driving from North Carolina today to Colorado. Will I make it to the end of my journey? Will I get through to the other side? Many travel and get from A to B, safe and sound, whichever route they take. But many along the way come to a screeching halt, dying or never being seen again. It happens all the time. It's very, very sad. It's springtime. The year 1846. George and Tamson Donner and their large party, about 87 people, have left Missouri traveling the Oregon Trail via wagon train. Several other pioneer families had traveled onward and the Donner party was excited to do the exact same thing. Now, I can jump in a car and drive from North Carolina to Colorado in two days, literally leaving Friday early morning, get there Saturday before the nightfall. Back then it was different. No way in hell. They had wagons, oxen, livestock, and horses hauling everything they owned. This track, this dangerous, adventurous journey was no two-day trip. No, it took several weeks at least four months from start to finish. For many, it took half a year or even longer, depending on what time of year you were traveling, of course. That makes all the difference. And for some, like the Donner Party, many would never make their final destination. Think again. Should I go this way or should I go that way? Right? Left? North? South? This pass or this route? What to do? What to do? Back then, they didn't have Waze or Apple Maps or TomTom or whatever GPS or navigation we use today. So, along their travels, George, Tamson, and the others had a decision to make. Go the route the others have traveled and most have completed, or go this other way, 
a way that has basically not been traveled at all, a mysterious path. The Donner Party had some help in this decision. In 1842, an Ohio man named Lansford Hastings traveled to California. He liked what he saw, a bunch of undeveloped country. He knew he wouldn't be alone in the potential beauty he saw, and he desperately wanted to encourage fellow travelers, settlers, pioneers, and emigrants to follow in his footsteps, making the trip out west. So much so that he published the emigrants' Guide to Oregon and California. He recommended this being an alternative route, where the Oregon Trail standard route was through Idaho Snake River. He encouraged people to take his route. He promised it would be a more direct route. Well, I'm sorry, but I call bullshit on Hastings. This man had not the slightest clue what in the hell he was talking about. You see, at this point in time, Lansford Hastings who had published this book, had not even traveled one foot in his special shortcut that he was trying to get others to follow. And it increased the miles. It was not until early on in 1846 that he actually traveled through. He stayed at Fort Bridger, where, like an unwanted pesky flea on a dog, he further persuaded and bugged travelers to change plans and go his way. As of 1846, Hastings was one of two men who went this way. Two people known to travel this one route, but neither man had wagons, cattle, and what have you. Obviously something all these parties would have, including, hello, the Donner Party. Their deadly fate was soon decided when they went on a new route, what is now called Hastings Cutoff. Hastings bypassed trails and crossed Utah's Wasatch Mountains and the Great Salt Lake Desert. It was a treacherous journey, and it is here in the Humboldt River that the party lost much of its wagons and cattle. And after many months of traveling, they make it to Sierra Nevada. Unfortunately, an early snowfall takes place. Weeks later in December, After the food sources have dried up, desperate, hungry, no, scratch that. They weren't hungry. They were starving and malnourished. A few of the party went on foot to try and seek help. It was almost four months before the first rescue party would make it to the Donner Party. 87 people left Missouri in high hopes of a better life, and 48 survived. 39 have died. The livestock was all gone. Whoever had family pets, those were gone too. People were eating twigs and whatever else they can gather. That was all gone. Bugs, everything you could think of, gone. What to do with these corpses, though? The decision. Die of starvation and all become corpses, never to be found, or survive and do something they thought they would never have to do. Stuff that will haunt them for life, but at least they'll have a life. Consume humans. Resort to cannibalism. 
many may think it was wrong. Like, how how could someone do this? You know, but you as a human being, can you truly say that if you were dying of starvation and your body desperately needed something to nourish it, that you wouldn't resort to such a thing just to actually live? I know it's like one of those things that you might have to actually be in that dire situation to actually commit to something like that. It's a tough choice. I'm sure it didn't come easy for these poor people as they started to eat one another. In some cases, their loved ones, their own family members and family pets. I, I can't even imagine what was going through their minds. I really can't. But because of this action, several people actually survived. They were able to walk out of this gravely situation and live. Times were bleak and full of fear, despair, depression, desperation, and much, much more. Not only were their party dying from starvation, but also due to exposure, of course, and then disease. Many didn't stand a chance. Patrick Brain, a man in the Donner Party, had kept a journal during these hard times, penning the incidents and encounters the party was dealing with. Starting November 20th in 1846, basically when the storm came, and ending March 1st, 1847, the day of the rescue. Now, I'm not going to read all the entries, but I just want to get an inside peek of what these people went through. So his first entry penned November 20th, 1846. Came to this place on the 31st of last month that it snowed. We went on to the pass. The snow was so deep we were unable to find the road. When within three miles of the summit, then turned back to the shanty on the lake. Stanton came one day after we arrived here. We again took our teams and wagons and made another unsuccessful attempt to cross in company with Stanton. We returned to the shanty. It's continuing to snow all the time we were here. We now have killed most part of our cattle, having to stay here until next spring and live on poor beef without salt or bread. So, you know... Things are tough. It's cold. They're stranded. That sucks. But they have their livestock to fill their tummies. But with so many mouths to feed and bellies to fill, this food source will, I don't know, not last very long. And everyone knows it. Nine days after his first century, on November 29th, he confides in his journal once again, sharing that it's still snowing three feet deep now. And that he had to kill his last remaining oxen, skidding it tomorrow. At one point, he writes that there has been talk at the camp by some of the people regarding of the distressing and much growing need to resort to cannibalism. He writes that the Donners were talking about eating the dead if they were unable to find their cattle. One night, he writes, Froze hard last night. Fine and sunshiny. Today, it's wind. Miss Murphy says the wolves are about to dig up the dead bodies at her shanty. The nights are too cold to watch them, but we hear them howl. The following day, things are getting a bit more distressing. Froze hard last night, today clear and warm. Wind southeast, blowing briskly. Martha's jaw swelled with the toothache. Hungry times in camp. Plenty hides, but the folks will not eat them. We eat them with a tolerable good appetite. 
Thanks be to Almighty God. Amen. Miss Murphy said here yesterday that she thought she would commence on Milt and eat him. I don't think she has done so yet. It is distressing. The Donners, four days ago, told the California folk that they would commence to eat the dead people if they did not succeed that day or next in finding their cattle, which were by then under 10 or 12 feet of snow. And the Donners did not know the spot or near it. I suppose they have done so ere this time. Now we start to see human deaths being reported on paper. December 30th, 1846. Fine clear morning. Froze hard last night. Charlie died last night around 10 o'clock. Had with him in money $1.50, two good-looking silver watches, one razor, three boxes, caps. Kiesberg took them into his possession. Spitzer took his coat and waistcoat. Kiesberg all his other little effects. Gold pin, one shirt, and tools for shaving. In one entry, he writes that some of the party had actually gotten sick due to eating human meat that Dolan had threw his tobacco on. Why Dolan would do such a thing? Who knows? Maybe to claim it for his own? And that's me saying that, not Patrick. January 27th, 1847. Began to snow yesterday and still continues to sleep. Thawing a little wind west. Miss Caber was here this morning. Lewis Souter, she says, died three days ago. Keysburg is sick, and Lanthrum is lying in bed the whole of his time. Don't have fire enough to cook their hides. Bill and Murphy, both sick. A few days later, on January 31st, it is reported in this journal that Murphy, who we just mentioned, has died. And on February 8th, he writes, Fine clear morning, wind southwest, froze hard last night. Spitzer died last night about three o'clock. We will bury him in the snow. Miss Eddie died on the night of the 7th. The following day, we hear yet about more illnesses and more deaths. February 9th. Miss Murphy was here this morning. Pike's child all but dead. Milt is at Murphy's and was not able to get out of bed. Keysburg never gets up, says he's not able. John went down today to bury Miss Eddie and the child. February 10th. Beautiful morning. Wind west. Froze hard last night. Today thawing in the sun. Milt Elliott died last night at Murphy's shanty around 9 o'clock p.m. Miss Reed went there this morning to see after his effects. Denton tried to borrow meat for graves, had nothing to give. They have nothing but hides. All are entirely out of meat, but a little. We have our hides are nearly all eaten up, but with God's help, spring will soon smile upon us. February 23rd, 1847. Shot Towser today and dressed his flesh. Miss Graves came here this morning to borrow meat, dog or ox. They think I have meat to spare, but I know to the contrary that they have plenty of hides. I live principally on the same. There are many other journal entries, as I just read a mere handful, but... Reading the entries, you know, it's heartbreaking to see what they went through. Every single day was a struggle. Livestock lost, family dogs lost, loved ones, family members and friends and acquaintances all lost. Could this have all been avoided? The Donner Party will always be associated with cannibalism. But once again, let's 
go back. One week before the Donner Party would reach Black's Fork, a journalist named Edwin Bryant would get there first. What he saw, it deeply concerned him. Something wasn't right with the trail, okay? Wagons were going to have a majorly difficult time getting through and past it, if it was even possible. He was concerned for the Donner Party as he knew it was a large group, which contained many women and several children. Oh, he shuddered to himself. This is not safe. Mm-mm. He quickly returns to Black Fork and pens out several letters warning the Donner Party, hey, don't take Hastings. It's not a shortcut. What happens next is an unfortunate series of events, and it was for selfish reasons. By this time, the Donner Party is at Black's Fork, and Hastings had already left, leading 40 or so wagons of the Harlan Young Party. Proprietor Jim Bridger, he damn well knew of the letters warning the Donners not to go. But he also damn well knew that this business would be a lot more successful, ka-ching, with people and parties taking the Hastings shortcut. And yeah, I'm using air quotes even as I talk. So, on that fateful day, when the trusting Donner party came through, Jim saw, again, dollar signs, ka-ching. He didn't see families and little children. For many of these people, their lives would soon be cut short due to greed and, of course, starvation, disease, and exposure. If Jim Bridger knew what was to come, I wonder, would he have had a change of heart? He lies through his teeth to the party, something to the effect of, You see here, folks, this here is a smooth old path. You no longer need to worry about being attacked by Native Americans and rugged country and what have you. He also promised that taking the Hastings cutoff would shorten their trip by at least 350 miles. Oh, the words coming out of that man's mouth sounded so sweet and promising. I mean, who wouldn't take that route? Water will be very easy to find along the way. Ah, yes, sir, Reed. Reed, whose entire family was in the Donner Party, which is also known at times as the Donner-Reed Party, he liked what he heard. He was impressed, and he found this trip would be a successful one. More hope filled his heart. Not everyone felt the happiness that Reed was feeling. Tamsin Donner, she was concerned. She was worried, but she knew she was outnumbered. An observer would later say that Tamsin was gloomy, sad, and dispirited at the thought of turning off the main trail on the advice of Hastings, who she deeply considered to be a very selfish adventurer. It's too bad not all the party felt this way, or the Donner Party wouldn't be the Donner Party at all, at least not the way we know it. Remember, the party has not a single shred of a clue of their journalist friend Brian's letters desperately telling them, hey, go the other way. Deem unsafe for any man, woman, child, wagon, oxen, horse, whatever. Go the other way. Turn back now. Avoid the Hastings cutoff at all costs. Avoid it like the bubonic plague. Bryant states that Bridger had deliberately concealed his warnings, his precious letters, an opinion that the once impressed Reed would also share. Though the party may not have gotten the journalist's warnings, they did still get one, and not by note that was hidden away, but in person. While at Fort Laramie, Reed ran into an old chum of his, a man named James Kleiman. 
He was coming from California, and when he heard of their plans going through the Hastings cutoff, James Warren Reed, hey, man, do not take that route. Your wagons will not be able to make it out. Hastings information is inaccurate. Boy, I really wish Reed would have taken his friend's advice. And who knows? I don't know if this like went on privately where it was just between Reed and James or if James had told the whole party. Maybe if he told the whole party, it would have been different. It makes me wonder how many travelers were warned of Hastings by well-doers and honest folk like Bryant and Clyman, and how many took their advice. Just how many lives were saved? I don't know. It's things like that that go through my mind. What also goes through my mind, the Donner Party was stuck there for months. Many, as we know, never left. And I must ask, where was Lansford, Hastings, and Jim Bridger during these several months where the Donner Party was dealing with freezing temps, death, despair, starvation, disease, and cannibalism? Where were these men who so desired people to take this rugged, deadly, vicious path? Murder even occurred. Two Indians named Luis and Salvador at some point had joined the Donner Party. When times got bad and people started to resort to cannibalism, the Indians refused. They would take no part in eating another human being. They took off, going separate ways from the party in fear that they would soon be eaten by the others. Days later, Luis and Salvador were found in a severely weakened state, lying in the snow. One of the men in the party, William Foster, shot both men in the head. The poor men were then butchered and eaten, their fear being eaten. It is believed this was the one and only time that murder was conducted for a source of food. While many resorted to cannibalism, many decided not to go that route. Instead, as mentioned earlier, they ate their family animals, which was hard enough on them to do so. One little girl wrote a letter that they killed their loyal dog, Cash, in which the family ate him for a whole week. Other things the folks ate were twigs, chewing on leather, tree bark, and while many died from malnutrition, many survived on this until being saved, believe it or not. One man from the party would later brag at saloons in Sacramento that human liver is the finest and most delicious meat he had ever eaten. He even opened his own restaurant, a steakhouse, or a liver house, in San Francisco. It didn't do well and it soon closed its doors. During today's episode, we heard a lot from Patrick Breen. His journal entries gave us an inside look at what exactly the party went through. I'm happy to report that Patrick Breen, an Irish immigrant, and his entire family, his wife Margaret and their seven children, survived this very deadly and scary situation. By March, the Breen family was rescued and found themselves at Sutter's Fort in California. Not only did they all survive, but the youngest of their children, little sweet baby Isabella, who, by the way, luckily, was way too young to even recall the horrible events, lived until the year of 1935, making her the last survivor of the Donner Party. It's no surprise that this area is considered to be haunted. Many restless souls remain here. What was supposed to be a promising future, now stuck here for all eternity. 
Many visitors who have come through here have encountered the spirit of a woman who is believed by many to be George Donner's wife, Tamsin Donner. Remember, Tamsin is the one who thought Hastings was a reckless and selfish adventurer. She wanted no part of his journey. Many visitors who've traveled through these parts have experienced bizarre happenings, unexplainable occurrences, and encounters. I found some that I'd like to share now. One man was out at Sugar Bowl Ski, a ski resort that's pretty damn close to the Donner Memorial. He was alone and just enjoying the beautiful day. Well, at one point he realizes he's alone, like really literally alone. There's no other skiers in sight. Where exactly is he? How could he have gotten so sidetracked? Suddenly, out of nowhere, a woman appears. Her clothing is a bit odd, perhaps from another century. This mysterious woman approaches the very disoriented skier. She leads him to a campsite where a number of other people were. He soon finds his trail to get back to the resort, but, you know, before leaving, he decides he turns back and goes back to the campsite the woman took him to. I think he just wanted to say thanks, you know, thank you for saving me. I was lost. When he got to the once full campsite, it was completely empty. And by the looks of it, it's been empty and unoccupied for quite some time. Who was this mysterious woman who guided this lost band back to safety? Was it Tamsin Donner? And how many other disoriented people has she helped throughout the decades and years gone by? While searching for people's encounters, I came upon one from a woman who has a getaway cabin at Donner Lake. And for the past several years, her and her husband have had quite a few encounters as their cabin, sweet cabin, is very paranormally active. One of the things that regularly occurred there was the fact that every time this woman's sweet father would come to visit, he would get violently ill. This woman, being a nurse, tried to help as much as she could, but it would get so bad that he would often find himself in the ER. Eventually, he stopped going to the cabin altogether, which is sad. And that's not all. While in bed, trying to sleep at night, she would hear voices. <sighs> trying to debunk them as wind, snoring, anything, but spirits talking. Her psychic friend, a bit on the eccentric side and fun side, borrowed the cabin one time and reported back about all the things that she was encountering there lights flickering off and on doors and windows opening and slamming shut another guest reported waking up in the middle of the night and unable to move because she was being held down by invisible forces before leaving the psychic tried to clear the home much to the owner's dismay as she didn't do a complete job and things just got a lot worse and more active than ever it is thought that there is the spirit of an Indian here, too. Now remember, two Indians were murdered in Eden all those years ago. He is not the problem, though. He's unhappy, however, because when this cabin was constructed and built, Indian artifacts were believed to be found and disposed of in a very, what he considers to be a very disrespectful matter. Not by the owners, but still, it happened. Desperate, she found a shaman. He came and stayed several days, tried clearing and cleansing the property and the cabin. It was quiet for a second, but after he left, it continued. She ended up putting crucifixes in the closets, and that seems to have done the trick. 
for now. Can these be angry spirits from the Donner Party? Can't blame them for being angry. The way things ended here were excruciatingly cruel. Before we end this, I want to start doing something at the end of each episode. It was my boyfriend's idea that he threw my way a few days ago, and I really, I really liked it, and I want to start doing it. You see, I, I love checking out the new countries and cities that pop up on my platform. I really do. Like, I'll, I'll say, guess what country just showed up? Or, you know, look at this city or this one I never heard of or whatever. And it, it's just fun. It's neat seeing where you guys and gals are all from. So I wanted to start just doing quick little shout outs at the end of each episode to a few cities here and there. So my first shout outs go out to regulars that show up quite often on the platform throughout the several months and almost year. Los Angeles, San Antonio, New York City, Perth, Cambridge, Chicago, Glasgow, London, Austin, and San Diego. Thanks for listening and keep an ear out for following city shoutouts. Yours might be next. And of course, I thank every single one of you, wherever you're from, for listening. Do you have a haunting in your city, a haunted location that you would love to see featured on Paranormal Prowlers podcast? Email me now, paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. Binge listen now. Find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Podcast Addict, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, and so many others. Basically, you guys, wherever you go to listen to your other awesome podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. See you next week.